0: Welcome to Unfiltered Business Podcast, the show that funnels in all the good and all the bad of what it takes to run a business. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Faulkner, and today we got a good show for you. Today we got my good friend, Bob Rosato, owner of two locations of your pie franchise, That's one right. in LaGrange and one in Peachtree City. That's right. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing great.
1: Yeah, doing great.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you on the show, man. We uh, we discussed this a few times sure. since we got started, and I always wanted to have you on this type of show to kind of dive deep into your journey, which is very interesting. It's unique. It's unique. It's <laughs> a long story, so I'm excited to hear exactly how you went from where you were at, sure, to a your pie franchise owner. Um, I won't spoil the you know spoil the news, but at one time, which you still are, one of the top-rated sports photographers in the world.
1: Well, I let people other people say that. <laughs> <laughs> I try to stay uh, kind of my um, keep my anonymity to some extent, really, because uh, now it's really about the you know the staff and the folks at our restaurants mm-hmm. and you know my time in that field is you know passed by now so it's uh, on to other things
0: yeah yeah so let's just dive in you know go back in history of where you started in the very beginning i mean before using even a photographer you was a police officer that's right, right. yeah so <laughs> w-
1: that was in hollywood florida from 1980 to 86 mm-hmm. and um i spent uh six great years there i thought i was going to be there forever but i had a childhood hobby that kept kind of poking me and prodded me, and, and uh, it caused me to, you know, finally make a change uh, when I left in, in 1986 and pursued a career in sports media.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which took you a long ways. I mean, you traveled all, all over the world, covered a lot of things. Absolutely. And uh, you got, what, uh, it 85, 86? Somewhere front in the cover mid-80s. <laughs> front cover Sports Illustrated magazine. That's right. Uh, yeah. I, I tell you, I, I was I was not surprised but very intrigued when I first heard that. I'm Bob's got that many. <laughs> I didn't even know he was a photographer at the time. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, me and you connected, I don't know what, four or five years ago at a, that's early right. at a chamber, chamber event. Chamber event, that's right. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we just kind of reached out to each other and started working from there with each other mm-hmm. on certain projects as in video and stuff. But like, like you said, you know, as a childhood um, uh, interest, I guess, right. it's the same for me, you know, back when I first started in the business was video production. hmm. But I've always been very in, in intrigued and interested on photography, videography, and stuff. Even growing up as a kid, sure. Um, I, I, kinda, I guess I kind of get that little bit of passion from my Grammy. Yeah. She loves taking pictures. Yeah. When we go to family events, I don't ever take pictures anymore. And, and it's like my mom passed You know, right. uh, about a month ago. Looking back on my phone, I had like one photo of me and my mom. That's because I always relied on my Grammy to take the pictures. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it just kind of trickled on from there but yeah let's just dive into to um where you are at you know you went from being a police officer to photography
1: yeah so I kind of did that on a freelance basis at mm. first and I just remember one day going to my dad and saying hey dad I'm, I'm gonna you know leave the police department and, and pursue this uh this sports photography career and uh, I just remember him saying are you out of your mind he goes "You've got a, I mean you're in a great position and And he goes, you know, and and that generation certainly would never understand that kind of a a leap of faith, so to speak. So to make a long story short, um, I became a staff photographer at Sports Illustrated uh, right at the beginning of 1998, and I stayed there as a staffer until, um, I believe it was 2011. And I left there because I had started a company um, that uh, had been uh, acquired by the Gannett Company, which was uh, the parent company to USA today. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was kind of the, the reason that I left, but there were, you know, there were changes in the, in the media landscape. You know, we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, away from the podcast and and how things were changing rapidly back in 08 when the advertising and, um, you know, had the mortgage meltdown and all those things were really affecting, um, companies really in virtually everywhere. Maybe one of the worst times that we'd seen in in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, you know, those things caused me to, you know, make those changes, and it uh, uh, was an opportunity that we saw that was a kind of a need in the marketplace. And then a few years later, it got acquired um, by the Gannett Company, and I stayed there and uh, really until we opened the uh, grain store, mm-hmm. which was in twenty eighteen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How scary was that leap of faith and that jump going from basically freelancing out onto your as an opening up a business? It's pretty scary. It is. I mean, <laughs> you know,
1: no, you know, no risk, no reward. I mm-hmm. mean, there has to be a calculated risk in there. But I felt confident enough in what I and what I had in terms of my ability to be able to to go on and move on. I, I didn't know that I'd be a staffer at Sports Illustrated. I didn't know that I'd be a. Um, you know, a leader at, at, at a business division inside of the USA Today company. And, mm-hmm. and those things kind of just morphed into what they became and, and kind of shaped me to who I am now. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, getting to the restaurants was more of a, a you know, a, a revenue stream for retirement, because that's what my thinking was at some point, you know, to have not just live on Social Security, but to, you know, have a revenue stream that uh, I could have for, you know, years to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, i Never knew that it would lead to where it is. So.
0: Sure, sure, but I mean, a lot, lot of people, especially starting a business, one thing they don't think about is support system. Who you surround yourself with, support system, either with your within your family if you married your wife or your spouse, and so I'm sure you know what, what was that support system like for you? Yeah,
1: that, that's a great question because even going back to to being a, a essentially a world traveling sports photographer. With, with little children at the time, without a support system that's rock solid, and my wife is the centerpiece of that, um, that would have never happened. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with taking a leap of faith and investing, basically your entire you know um, re- retirement savings into businesses um, that you hope will again create that revenue stream for you as you mm-hmm. as you age. Um, requires a buy-in from your family and your your children and your and your your spouse or your partner, whatever the case might be. Um but it's also a matter of surrounding yourself with great people, other mm-hmm. other great people that you uh, can mentor from. Um and I've had the privilege of being able to do that throughout my business career, certainly in the years that I was in uh the sports media industry, which mm-hmm. is thirty-five years.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean you you've gotta have a good support system. It's like, you know, when I started when I left Caterpillar at the time I traveled so much and, and one one year when I finally got out of the outdoor space completely for the most part is when i had left home in september i really didn't come home for good until about the end of january that following year Mm -hmm. and i was on the road like you wouldn't believe which you know i mean you traveled all over the world so you know when you was in media but when i came back me and my wife been together since I was twelve years old. Right. I felt like I'd been on. I felt like I'd been on deployment. I didn't <laughs> even know her when I got back. Uh-huh. It's true. And, and it was very, very strange. But at the same time, my uh, my wife, she's phenomenal. I love her to death. She was my rock. Yeah. You know, our kids were you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old at the time. And if I didn't have her at the house, I don't know what world I'd have done.
1: Yeah, uh, without a doubt, I think it's. Uh, cornerstone Mm. of really uh, being able to be nimble enough Mm -hmm. to go out and execute not only what you think, you know, you could call it a dream if you want, because it's all a dream Mm. until it actually becomes reality. But to be able to go and execute at the level that I think you need to without that is very difficult.
0: Yeah, it is. It and is. And I tell people all the time, I say it. I've said it last week and several times, man. If it wasn't for my wife, I'd have jumped off the cliff a long time. <laughs> <laughs> we both yeah. would. Oh, yeah. No doubt. That's a part of running business. Like yeah. we was talking about earlier is, you know, most people that don't have a business but want to start a business, they think it's always greener pastures on the other side. Well, most of the time, ninety percent of the time, you want to jump back on the other side of the fence where you was at before. It's sure, because like, oh, oh, reality slaps him. you
1: right in the face. Oh and yeah, you you experience things that you didn't even see coming. That's right. But yeah. the
0: rewards are great, and it's it's that self, that confidence, and that self reward. It's like, man, we grew from where we're at, where we were at, to where we're at now, and this is where we're going. You'll always make mistakes. You'll always have challenges, but it's how you overcome those and what you learn from them it is, you know how you get to where you need to go. Well, that's the learning curve. Exactly. You know, yep.
1: if, if you're just sailing along at a high level, you're missing a lot. Mm-hmm. Because when you do have challenging times, you may not know how to address it or fix it or, or even process it. That's right.
0: That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so that kind of takes us into you know you from where you were at going into a franchise. And you know, franchise having a franchise is a lot different than having just a private restaurant or whatever of your own. It is your own, but at the same time, you've got a lot of stipulations or requirements, mandates, and everything else from the higher-ups in the franchise world. So what what are those? How did you start within your pie and the franchising and the whole process? What did that even look like?
1: Well, yeah, I had to identify that first, mm-hmm. right, because we had looked at franchising for four or five years before we ever pulled the trigger on anything. So I had looked at everything from you know being a Chick-fil-A operator to – indoor go-kart racing, you know, to all different types of um, uh, concepts. But I had an affinity, really, for the, for the restaurant side of things. And, um, if, again, to make a long story kind of short, we discovered pie being a young franchise um, It at the time did not require my full-time attention to get off and running. Although that's kind of a misnomer when you, mm-hmm. when in the grand scheme of things because it you really needs your full-time attention. Any business mm-hmm. does. But it was at least in terms of getting involved, it was more attractive to me. And, of course, it was pizza and, you know, an Italian guy like me with pizza with a mother that made her own pizza from scratch. Those two things just kind of um, went hand in hand for me. So it was mm-hmm. pretty easy once I um, did my research on, on, uh, on your pie. But really it's um, – it was really, you know, do you have the assets? Do you have the liquidity? Do you have the the things that are going to be required of you to be a franchise? And, of course, franchising versus owning your own um, business or bringing something up, um, the, you know, the concepts are already in place. The m- menus are already in place. There's things that were attractive to me that I didn't need to spend the time doing in, in, a, in a point in my life where I didn't really have the time to do that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. So franchising made more sense to me at that particular time than it would be to go and develop something from the ground up. Mm.
0: Hmm. Yeah. 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 Now, that's important. You know, like, and going back to your statement just a few moments ago about starting that not requiring 100 percent of your time. Uh, man, I've seen and heard so many times, especially individuals that want to start a business. that's a brick and mortar. That's right. I can guarantee if it's a brick and mortar, you're you're gonna be there 100 percent of the time, you and if can, you're not, you count on it. It's very likely it will fail. That's right. It, and I've seen it so many times. Unfortunately, there's businesses around town that have started, and then you know they open up at 11, they close at 5, 4 days out of the week or 3 days out of the week, next thing you know they're gone. In it, it, the the brick-and-mortar business, especially e-commerce or whatnot, e-commerce, but as in retail overall, you got to be there 100%. Oh, I 100%. Mean,
1: when we opened LaGrange, Curry, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this story or not, but I, I lived at the – La Quinta on the by the interstate mm-hmm. there for six months. Mm-hmm. I lived in in uh, Dignesh's hotel over yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember that, because I had to be there virtually every day, open and close, mm-hmm. um, and still doing you know work at USA Today at that time. Sure. Um, it was it was a that was a tough six or eight months for us. Yeah,
0: yeah, because you, know? you didn't leave USA Today until what year?
1: It was about right. a, a right, Well, it was about a year after that.
0: Yeah, after yeah. you had let, or started. Uh, That's right. With your uh, yeah. your pa. That's right. So that was. I mean, you got double whammy. I, mean, I was traveling and still doing <laughs> it's still doing my work. So it was, yeah.
1: but I needed to be as present as possible. And I think that um, uh, anyone, like you said, mm-hmm. the key thing is if you've got a brick and mortar, you're, you're going to mm-hmm. be there, and it needs you because of the, the the success and failure rate is mm-hmm. staggering. for for folks that are not engaged. That's
0: right. I mean, it's just like you're growing your baby, you're molding it, and how do you want it to be? But at the same time with brick and mortar, you're dealing with the general public. That's right. All it takes is one split second for something to turn around the wrong way, and you're not there to fix it, oh, it could crush you. Well, and the organization itself,
1: because you're also building a – and we'll talk about this, I'm sure. We're building a culture, Mm -hmm. and that culture is not something that you don't go and you just – you know, drop it in place and it's installed and it runs itself. Mm-hmm. And that is it, that's an ongoing thing that never ends, mm-hmm. and and it starts with the the person at the top. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah. So as in the restaurant industry overall, there's a tremendous amount of, of struggles and things that take place that the general public don't see from day to day. Absolutely. I mean, you've got inventory, you've got shipments, you got product produce. You know, the the increase in uh, what it costs to even Farm these days, fuel rates, everything—it's all affecting what goes into the restaurant
1: industry. Oh yeah, equipment. Yeah, I mean if your equipment. coolers aren't running, mm-hmm. you got bigger problems. Yeah, you know? and, I mean, and let
0: just, a let a cooler go out real quick. How so much that costs to get fixed? That, happen? <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: it does. Yeah. I mean those things are. Um, I mean power surges can mm-hmm. cause you know weather situations can, can cause things to go down, and we've had those things happen. Mm-hmm. And um, you have got to be engaged. You have to have you know you have to have a emergency management you know, uh, uh, plan in place mm-hmm. in, in the event that those things happen. You have to protect, you know, the integrity of, of, of the food and, and certainly have a place for people to come to work, sort mm-hmm. of, a you know, a natural disaster, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. sure. So what what are some of those things that you've seen since starting with your pie over the years that uh, you, you really have learned a lot, you overcome, and uh, what did you do to, f- to fix those issues that you that you had. Well, I've
1: always kind of called myself a, a fireman, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm always putting out a fire somewhere, but that's not um, the restaurant industry doesn't have a exclusive on that. You know, mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. being a business owner, those things happen mm-hmm. in verticals uh, every day. I think in the in the in the respect of what the the general public doesn't necessarily see or acknowledge are just those things mm-hmm. you know it's the it's the facilities maintenance it's the you know we have a generator that kicks on if the power goes out you know if that thing's not working right and that has to be maintained 100% of the time to make sure that the again the integrity of the of the products are are never compromised um the public doesn't see any of those things and, and quite frankly they don't they don't need to Mm-mm. but when it comes to understanding the, the cost structure Restaurants typically work on a very low margin. and if they're doing you know better than a single digit profitability, that's fantastic mm-hmm. because I think the national average is somewhere around 10% mm-hmm. in terms of profit. So anything anybody that's in double digit profitability is really, really running a, a great mm-hmm. ship. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, cost of goods, cost of food, all these things, especially what we're experiencing in the economic landscape as it sits today, has been more challenging than I've ever seen in my life, and I worked in a gas station at 14 years old back in the days where we had lines. You know that, that I've never ever seen since. Mm-hmm. But the gas back then was 49 cents a gallon. Oh yeah, but yeah. you couldn't get it. Yeah, yeah. So, the cheapest
0: I ever seen it was 36 cents. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I'm a little older than you. I remember <laughs> yeah. it being about. 20, it was a special going nine. on at pumpers
0: in South Carolina and easily. <laughs> we used to you fill know, up our <laughs> gas
1: can for 25 cents. That's right. But the to watch that. Um, come to where we're at today and i'll I'll just give you for instance we had a a situation maybe six months ago where we hadn't had a price movement in our italian gelato really almost the entire time i had been you know a a franchisee Mm -hmm. i think one small increase and it jumped 35 percent overnight Mm -hmm. just like that and then we had another situation where we had Um, The little containers we use for our side salads, they went from about $30 a case to 118, like a light switch. Uh And and I think the thing that public doesn't understand or see, and again, why would they? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you do when that happens? Because you're consuming those things at a, at a, at a a rapid pace, right? Same thing with produce. Produce is so volatile with things that are going on all over the world, let alone just the country. And, you know, you have these things that are just jumping up and down in price, and it's not like a restaurant can mm-hmm. just sit there and change their price every single day. Mm-hmm. You can't. That's right. So th- those are a big uh, part of it. And then, you know, we get past maybe some of those things, and the next thing, you know, we've got, you know, uh, the, the whole labor situation has changed virtually in every in every business uh, vertical you can think mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. I've talked to business owners, um, you know, countless times in you know, chamber events or any networking events or just colleagues that I know, and everybody's experiencing the same thing.
0: Sure, sure. You know? Yeah, and it's it's a balance that's hard to keep track of and, and balance the right way, whether it falls one way or the other. But, I, you know, this was, I don't know, last year, listened to a podcast. Um, I think it's called the American Farmer or something. I don't know. But um, he was talking about the fuel rates, increasing right. fuel rates. Right. People don't understand how much it costs to farm these days. Absolutely. This cat was saying, I'd say he, he was saying on average, you know, the farming season typically only lasts, what, two to three months mm-hmm. of harvest, the harvest right. time. That's right. Their fuel rate, fuel bill was anywhere between eight dollars to $10,000 a day. So just think about that, eight dollars to $10,000 a day. Mm-hmm. As in the restaurant industry, and any industry, honestly, but restaurant especially when it comes to farming, Who's going to pay that? Somebody's got to pay that.
1: It just it keeps it, it just trickles keeps right going down. downhill. Yeah. It keeps it does. Downhill. it does, and and I've I've said this even in in responses to reviews and things when we went up in price back in September and a few folks you know kind of jumped on us for for um, raising prices, which always surprises me to some extent because the you know the news is what it is and mm-hmm. most people are pretty understanding of that, but you know from from their point of view I also get it. But I I tried to explain. I said nothing that comes to our restaurant comes in a gas-powered vehicle.
0: That's right.
1: And, and just in, in the entire supply chain. Mm-hmm. So while we're seeing those ups and downs at the at our, you know, to fill up our own vehicles, the folks that are delivering it and what they're dealing with at warehouses and and you know in the trucking industry all to itself mm-hmm. is maybe as volatile as the restaurant mm-hmm. industry is alone. Yeah. They're they're experiencing some crazy things, but yeah. that diesel price has stayed way up. Yeah, yeah. So it's affecting us all.
0: No, absolutely. We've we've got um, a client that we work with every so often. It's a, um, you know, we just do small things for them here and there. It's a trucking industry, trucking company. Mm-hmm. And the guy was telling me that um, prior to COVID and prior to cost increase on fuel and everything, mm-hmm. an average cost for a shipping container was about five grand. To ship overseas today, forty thousand dollars. That's crazy. The same container. Yeah, that's absolutely absurd. It's yeah. nuts. But what do you do? I mean, everything's just controlled by the government and everything else. So as a business owner, you just got to ride the waves and figure out figure it out as you
1: go. And, it, and that's it. I mean, there mm-hmm. there has to be some leveraging Mm -hmm. right of your or i like to call it dollar cost averaging right Mm -hmm. so if you're you're experiencing some increases and maybe you can find areas that you can save in to try to offset that Mm -hmm. and that's what we've done to try to mitigate having to raise prices so rapidly um and and you know i was able to even during the pandemic i was able to hold out for almost two and a half years Mm -hmm. before we were able we had to finally raise prices because I know how that affects the consumer sure and and you know that's part of who we are we want to embrace our communities and we, we, we want to be a significant part of a community and that's just one of our, our core values so to do that is to try to keep your your product at a high value mm-hmm. and, and affordable to folks and uh, but you got to stay in business at the same time
0: sure. that's right that's right yep. so as in your pie itself and running the restaurant what, what does your pie do different? than let's just say other restaurants to to maintain that customer loyalty, to to engage with the customers on a consistent basis and make sure that they have a happy experience whenever they visit the restaurant.
1: Well, I think what you just said there, I think one of the things that's really important is to create an experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things. It's uniquely different in that you can go to a fast casual concept and you order your food and you get it at the counter And you never hear from them again. Mm -hmm. You know, welcome to this or that, and, you know, and you're done. Mm -hmm. Your pie doesn't do that. Your pie has a a direct engagement with the the guest through their entire stay, right, whether – if they're in dining. Mm -hmm. Of course, some of that's changed, again, because post-COVID we have more mechanisms now for people to have access to our products and services, um, uh, you know, to be able to order and, and, you know, take out and have curbside and online ordering and those things, and that changes that – at least a little bit. But I think the main thing is to create a value proposition for the guest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's with a, a differentiator for us in, in the single price model, certainly for our, our medium-sized uh, product, and allows folks you know, with a hearty appetite or with a light appetite to be able to get what they want without having to you know, really modify that to what the restaurant does. And I think that um, that's a great value proposition mm-hmm. for a guest.
0: Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, you know, for us being a marketing company, mm-hmm. one thing that we always tell clients, one of the number one things you always have to keep control of and maintain and, and make sure you're doing a great job at is customer reviews. But the only way you can get positive customer reviews have good customer loyalty and experience when they come to wherever they're coming to and do, do work with you. That's right. And a lot t- somewhat don't, tend to go down that path but anything man when you go online or when you go traveling when you go to a restaurant when you stay at a hotel or whatever when you look up a certain business what's the first thing you look at
1: your reviews the reviews
0: yeah so that's and huge
1: <laughs> if they respond mm-hmm. yep. and and i think that's key and i respond to every serve if people make a comment not mm-hmm. necessarily just if they go give you you know a five star four star god forbid it's a one star mm-hmm. but if they if they make a comment I respond to all of them, a hundred percent of the time. Yep. And and I think it's key, just as you outlined, because people do look at that. But you also want to address, some of them, you know, may just, I don't know if they're all legitimate or not. Mm-hmm. But if there's a comment there, I'm going to address it. Yeah. And if I need to protect our team, I'll protect our team. But at the same time, I think what it's what's important is that the guests in your constituency know that you care. Yep. That's right. Because once they they, they they lose that sentiment, you're in trouble.
0: Yep. No, absolutely. And you always have to respond no matter what platform it's on, whether it's Google, you know, social media, whatever, and you get a response, you gotta respond.
1: Absolutely. And it yeah, doesn't absolutely. matter what business you're in.
0: Yeah, yeah. And not to mention the platforms themselves love to see you respond because it's an engagement. That's right. And if you don't respond, then they just kinda say, Well, okay, well this company we give you know, they get in the reviews, it's great, but let's just kinda Dropping down the list a little bit further, right? It helps you. It hurts you overall.
1: And it's not the place to argue with folks. Oh no, ever. No, no. <laughs> you just I mean, do not do that.
0: And like you said, some of the reviews you get to come in, you think, what in the world? <laughs> is this cat sitting in his mama's basement and is <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, you don't know, but y- but you, you're never going to engage. <laughs> you him that you way. never can engage. Yeah. yeah,
1: you just don't engage them that way. You just you keep it very professional, very high level. Exactly. And and um, uh, yeah, and I think those things are key. You mm. never, never. Uh, have that conversation yeah. in, a, <laughs> yeah. in a, a review platform.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So as as being a, a restaurant owner, and there's a tremendous amount of individuals that wants to, they, they want to go down that path as they love to cook and they love that restaurant industry, the atmosphere and all, mm-hmm. but what are some of the things that they need to be looking at and thinking about before taking that path to open up their, their own restaurant and or, or just even – Overall,
1: yeah, I th- well, it, with any business, really, mm-hmm. I, I think. But when you're in a retail-oriented kind of business, in my opinion, I think the first thing that you've got to do is really do your your demographic studies. Mm-hmm. If you've, you've selected a, a location or whatever the case might be, make sure before you select that location, you've done your demographic mm-hmm. studies. Not so much in just who lives where, you know, your trade area, you know, but what's what what is serving that market, mm-hmm. right? Is it saturated? Is it underserved? Those are all things, and that's going to help you develop what what I would consider to be a very comprehensive business plan. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a business plan, you are you're just shooting blanks. Yeah, you really are are well behind the eight ball. Even even if it's a franchise concept, mm-hmm. you can still write a separate business plan from what the, the franchise has, as long as it stays within their brand standards and of course their their mm-hmm. uh, uh, franchise agreement. Sure, sure. But at the same time, if you're doing your own business, regardless that comprehensive business plan needs to have a a, a very comprehensive set of pro formas because if you're going to borrow money or if you're going to, you know, go to the, you know, the government and get a small business loan, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to have a, you know, three to five year projection. Mm -hmm. And as you and I were talking about offline, um, folks try to like make that look really good on the revenue side and maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, not so bad on the, expense side. And it's quite the contrary. Mm -hmm. I mean, you err on the side of caution and really set yourself up differently. And if you can make it on those numbers, then you'll have a better chance. And let's face it, most businesses are going to fail within the first three years. Sure,
0: sure. And that's the thing about a business plan. It, It always evolves. It changes over time. So when you first develop that business plan, I think it's a great idea to get engagement from other business owners. Absolutely. See what they think. Let them let them read it. You know, go through it from top to bottom, front to back. Mm-hmm. Is okay, well, does this make sense? Does this these projections make sense? That's right. If not, okay, well, what do I need to do? Because every industry is different. Every location is different. Is there growth coming to that community? I mean, it's just like, you know, city by city, you know, town by town, whatever. It changes every few years. And, and so what does that look like as in a business plan is depending on what my industry I'm in and what business I've got. How is that gonna affect or be affected by those changes?
1: That's a key thing because when we start to when we start to develop our pro form as we went and visited with other operators mm-hmm. and, and they graciously opened up and said, hey, okay, here's what our revenue looks like in this market. And here's what our revenue looks like in that market. Mm-hmm. And, and at least it's a little more data driven in terms of people that are already doing it. Sure. So there's just, you just don't leave any stone unturned that you can find. No, that's uh, right. Because that all needs to kind of get buried in there. And then you you'll adjust that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I must've adjusted our first one. I, it must've been a hundred times. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's, it's the beauty part about a business plan is you kind of you forecast what the future may hold for you, okay, but you never can predict what can can happen. I mean, like COVID hit a couple of years ago. Think about that. The recession, you know, whatever. We're sitting, sitting in the middle of it right now, okay? <laughs> right. So how is that affecting me now versus what's going to look like a year from now? That's right. So how do I get past it? And it's always evolving. It's always changing. So... To say that, as in the restaurant industry overall, the things that you've done in the past, the things to build that business plan, and the, the situations you've gone, to, gone through to overcome, what does it look like, you feel like it looks like, for the next five years for the restaurant industry?
1: Well, it's like, again, you and I were talking about how we had to adapt for COVID. Mm-hmm. And and in looking at that... Uh, I remember reading, you know, trade magazines and, and, you know, opinion articles and things that people were saying, well, you know, we may never go back to the in, in dining again. And people would offer those opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I never felt that way completely. Uh, I didn't buy into that because I think you have to look at, the, at, the, at a person's needs from a human aspect. And people want to go out. They don't want to be confined to their sure. four walls. And they're not going to sit in their cars and eat. We've evolved to a, a very socialized society and uh, folks want to go out and have an experience. Mm-hmm. And if you have a brick and mortar, that's pretty important. Yep. Right? Otherwise, you, we can become farm stores and just think, <laughs> hang things out the side window. That's right. right. If, if folks that can remember farm stores. But uh, again, I think over a period of time, you'll start to see technology um, help us deliver product in ways that we maybe not even thought of yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've seen it with some of the, the delivery products and, and certainly the uh, evolution of third-party delivery. I don't think that that is – I think that was more of a fad. I don't know if that will continue. Um, but there may be other ways that start to develop from a technological uh, uh, point of view that might start to affect the restaurant industry mm-hmm. over the next five years. Um, I think the labor market plays a, a, a role in that potentially. Uh, maybe not for all concepts, but certainly for some. Um, I'm not a fan of kiosks. Um, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've been to Europe and <laughs> many mm-hmm. times, and it's just not a good experience, in my opinion. But um, at the end of the day, you have to stay in business somehow. Mm-hmm. And and um, I think that the economic landscape will really uh, define probably the next five years. But learning what we learned coming out of COVID, we, the one thing that we did learn is that the public wants to access um, products and services in a variety of different ways. One day it might be one way, the next day it might be another way. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what's going. We're busy people with you know active lives, and those things are changing, and they're forever changing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the challenge, especially being a business owner, is how, how do you stay on top of those things and understand, okay, what's coming, what's changing? Uh, and for us in marketing, it changes rapidly. Digital changes, I mean, in a fraction of a second. I mean, right now you got AIs, you got all these artificial intelligence things and software is coming up that people can literally do things in an instant. And so how do we get past that? And how do people interact today the way they're going to interact tomorrow? What platforms and what situations, what do you do? do? It's, uh, I mean, you almost got to have this guy sitting in the corner and that's all he does, and a lot of companies do. That's, that's right. That's all he does is sit there and understand, okay, well, this person's acting this way, and tomorrow they're probably going to act this way depending on what we tell them. That's right. <laughs> so. No, and,
1: and, and I talk about it all the time with my managers. The, our goal is to stay relevant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And it's, just, it's as simple as that. Stay relevant and, and make sure that we are executing at the, at the highest level that we can making everyone's experience from the minute they drive into the parking lot to the minute they drive Mm -hmm. out of the parking lot, that's their experience. Mm -hmm. So if we can stay relevant, I think we have a chance of, you know, being here long-term, but the minute you become irrelevant, uh, it's pretty much over. Yeah,
0: absolutely. hundred percent agree with that. So what, uh, what can we expect from, from you and your pie next?
1: Well, you know, again, I think if the, Learning again what we've learned out of COVID and staying relevant, I think you'll probably start to see us um, be more involved in social media platforms, really showcasing our products and services more directly to the consumer Mm -hmm. in in those platforms. I think those things um, resonate um, and whether that'll be a long-term, whether it'll be five years or three years or five months, no one knows. Mm -hmm. But I think again, it's just part of the element of staying relevant where that's probably going to be our next thing. And then, of course, reengaging with the communities, mm-hmm. right? Now that folks are being more comfortable, we're starting to see the dine in numbers come way back up. Mm-hmm. Um, our numbers are, are you know, the, our LaGrange store really recovered from, you know, the, the really, really anemic two years uh, pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And, and we're obviously pleased with that. But I, I think it's really, again, staying engaged with the communities. We embraced. LaGrange and, and LaGrange has embraced, embraced us and I don't ever want that to stop. And that's I right. think it's really, uh, I think it's really important we continue to do that. And, uh, not only for my two stores, but our whole system. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's very important is and a lot of companies, I would say they put a tremendous amount of focus on sales through social platforms, depending on what industry and what kind of company you do have. That's mm-hmm. great. But Overall, social media is a branding aspect, to, to to engage with your audience, how you do that one way or another depends on whatever marketing strategy you've got going forward with. But social media is long term, just like with search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. It's long term, just like with a website. It's long term, is you've got to always go into it thinking, this is going to be here for for whoever knows how long, but as long as I can be in this business, it'll always be there. But how do I build my brand on that platform? And so that's great that you all are going to incorporate more social media stuff, not necessarily going after the fact, okay, well, I'm going to get sales directly from this platform, but it's building my brand through this platform.
1: And I think that's key Mm -hmm. and it it can't, because not everything's going to be successful, Mm -hmm. but I think the consistency and staying with it long-term helps you build that brand Mm -hmm. and you think, well, you know, we've been around seven years in Peachtree City and five years in Lagrange. We've already built our brand. That's anything but true. Mm-hmm. Right. It is a continuous process. It's The same thing with building your culture and your in your in mm-hmm. your organization. Mm-hmm. You didn't you just didn't drop it in there. That is a thing that is going to remain for as long as you're. Leading in that business, mm-hmm. you have to continually build that culture. Yeah, because you have people in and out the door constantly. Yep,
0: yep. And in, in today's world, especially how fast social media moves and how people connect with other people, I mean, the power of a cell phone. Everybody's got one these days. A lot different than a flip phone. You know, and when we had just dial up. You know, that's right. <laughs> no longer that case. Mm-mm. So, the way people figure out whether you're legit and trustworthy is number one, they go to they they either go to Google. Bing or whatever, to pull you up on a search. That's if you're right. there, next thing they, they go to, social media. Well, okay, they got these two platforms. They're probably doing pretty good. But how I can see and understand what they do behind the scenes, most of the time is through social media. This is how these people, this company, or whoever's engaging with their audience, okay, now I can start to trust what they do, on top of also the Google reviews and everything else. No doubt. So it's, it's always evolving. That's always an important factor, part of your strategy is to stay on those social platforms, but always stay engaged and always be consistent. It's about re- relevance, consistency, and, and just making sure that you're there to build that loyal following. I mean, you, you may have some channels could have millions of followers. I said it last week. Probably 2% of those million are loyal followers. Mm-hmm. But those 2% probably buying from you all the time. That's right.
1: <laughs> so. and, and the higher those numbers, the mm-hmm. 2% becomes even more relevant. Mm-hmm. That's so right. I think that that is a – well, let's face it, Corey, it's one of the reasons you and I are sitting here today is That's because right. we engaged in that from the first day that we met. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I have phenomenal respect for what you've done in your business and parlaying those two things together – to work together and create a partnership that's not only helping our business and your business, um, that, that is a key relationship and relationship building is also part of all of these Mm -hmm. things that we've talked about here today.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely 100%. Yeah. I'm I'm huge on relationships. Me. I've always been that I normally will not do business with you unless I meet you face to face. Sure. That's just, you know, I'm I'm old school Mm -hmm. and I want to make sure that that relationship's going to work. And pan out before we go down that path. That probably it may not work at all, just because up front it it just wasn't there. Sure, we didn't connect.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so sometimes that's going to happen. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's
0: going to happen, especially yeah. the bigger you get as a business. You you can't meet every single one of your your customers. It's just impossible. So, right. you, but you have those team members in place that can be that person for you and just kind of a clone of you mm-hmm. uh, of making sure that your business and, and stays running smoothly and connects with your, with your uh, customers That's and right. whoever else. So um, we're getting, we getting pretty close to almost out of time for the most part, but um, what, books, what books have you read in the past that could really help – That's a great question. – help the business owner or the future, the entrepreneur – I love reading books. I read all the time. And it's just I used to not read if it didn't have pictures. I probably didn't read it. <laughs> but yeah. about six years ago, I started reading heavily, mm-hmm. and, and really started uh, diving into entrepreneur and business books and all. Especially you know, for owning an own business, you always gotta you always gotta lean on those ones that have done it in the past and still doing it and dominating today and learn from what they're doing. That's right. So, what kind of books have you read that could really help?
1: I'll tell you why this is a great question because one of the one of the great things, and I'll try and be brief because I, I know the the clock's ticking. When I went from managing people at USA Today to owning a restaurant, the the, the biggest change for me, even though management was very, you know, similar and the, the the common denominators are similar, it's different to manage a younger workforce on hourly. Um, uh, wages versus mm-hmm. someone on salary who's mm-hmm. making, you know, even close to six figures, mm-hmm. right? And those dynamics are different. And of course, managing with inside of a corporation versus a, a small business, those dynamics were very different for me. And I had to learn and, and figure that out myself. You and I were at a chamber event. I don't know if you were at this particular one, but there was a, a folk uh, came in, a, a person that came in that talked about a book called uh, "The uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And the book was written by Patrick Lencioni, and I had written had read that book after after that chamber event, and it was specific to helping me really understand the difference um, from the team that I had at USA Today versus t- trying to build these teams in in the restaurant. But one of the things you heard me talk about today a couple of times was culture, and the one book that I and this book just got released, and it was written it's written by uh, Mark Miller who. Uh, was the vice president of, of high performance leadership at Chick Fil A, mm. and it's called Culture Rules, and I have dove right into this book, and in because I am a big believer in culture and the evolution of that culture um, for us has continually evolved over the years, and this book is really I, I think everybody that has an organization should read this. Sure, it's, it's sure. outstanding. And I'm only about halfway through it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so, good. That's good.
0: Yeah. Um, so we, we always at the end, give a two minute shout out to our guest. Who would you like to give a two minute shout out to that really has impacted your life and, and, and led you down the path your own and to who Bob is today?
1: Well, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. Um, there's probably so many people that, um, I don't think I can get it done in two minutes. <laughs> I'm an old guy. Um, the one person is probably the most important is my wife, Cindy. If there was a shout out, it's to her mm-hmm. because without that support system, Corey, as you know, and all the crazy things that I've done in my lifetime and in moving careers, it, you know, um, I, it, it It's crazy. I never thought that I'd be where I'm at today doing what I'm doing. And I've learned over, over a period of time that developing people is kind of what my calling was. And if I didn't have that support system, I don't know that I could have ever figured that out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it, yeah. it it takes almost a lifetime to really understand that. So you can identify what your real role is as, as a leader and an influencer. Mm-hmm. And... um my wife and family have been so supportive virtually in everything I've I've ever done. Mm. So um, my real shout-out goes out to her. But there's a lot of people in the chain, my parents being sure. some as well. Sure. My father was a huge influence for me as well.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. It's If you're married or just you know, your spouse, whatever, when you're in business, that is your rock. It really is. I mean, my wife, phenomenal. Love her to death. I mean, I text her all the time, say, Devil's on me today, babe. (laughs) Well, I got to lean on God. They help help talk you off the ledge. It is. I got to lean on God, then I lean on her. It really is. Well, I
1: remember even in in times past, you know, sometimes you sit there and you're looking at the ceiling going, so why did I do this?
0: Uh You know,
1: and that's just kind of what you're alluding to, you know. Uh And, um, you know, you figure it out. When you have that support system and you have that, and those things are, are rock solid at home. You figure it out mm-hmm. pretty quick, yeah. and and they help you get there.
0: Yeah, that's so. for sure, for sure. Well, I really have enjoyed you being on today, Bob. Man, it's Learned been an a honor. lot, and your story is is incredible. It honestly, is going from police officer to having uh, eighty five front cover Sports Illustrated magazine mm-hmm. images, and being the you know one of the world's top sports photographers, honestly, are, and to a you know franchise business owner and your pie with two locations
1: crazy journey
0: it's crazy journey but a lot of people can learn from that journey a lot of people can really look up to you and be inspired by that and and say okay well i've always had this dream this is where i want to go but people like you really inspire people to get there well
1: and 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 i i truly believe that's a calling and an honor Mm -hmm. and and don't take it for granted Mm -hmm. because those things can change in a hurry Mm -hmm. and um, i've been blessed so i'm you know thankful to you know our creator.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's absolutely. has been great. You as well. And thank you all for listening Dave, un- to Unfiltered Business Podcasts. And as always, share on your social platforms. Share on your podcast platforms, whatever you listen to. And as always, stay humble, stay focused, and be confident.